For hundreds of years, the planet Mars has been the subject of heated controversy among scientists. Falcon Heavy is configured for flight. Tango Delta nominal. Five, four, three, two. Main engine start, zero, and liftoff of the Delta rocket with opportunity. When you look at a planet as one little tiny dot in space, it, it really isn't representative of what's going on on the planet. It's a stretch goal. It is so audacious. We are one world, and that we are more connected than we um, give ourselves credit for a lot of the time. Hello, welcome to We Martians. I'm Jake Robbins. The Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program arrived in 2018 with the promise of bootstrapping a whole economy around delivering payloads to the moon. And for lunar scientists, this could be a huge boon. Regular flight opportunities to various places on the moon's surface could be the turnaround they need to do some more science. NASA hasn't landed a vehicle on the ground since Apollo 17, nearly 50 years ago. Four years later, the program is approaching its first launches, but it has not been a smooth ride to this point. But maybe that was the plan all along. NASA has taken a shots-on-goal approach with CLPS. Many flights, many companies, and a lot more risk than we'd be accustomed to in a normal planetary mission, with the expectation that not everyone will make it all the way. But on the eve of these first flights, I had some questions about the program and how it's set up, how the companies involved with it are doing so far, and whether we can be hopeful or not about its future. So I called my friend Anthony Colangelo from the Main Engine Cutoff podcast. Anthony follows the ins and outs of the space industry and knows a lot about how companies operate in these kinds of environments. So I knew he'd be able to offer some really great insights. All right, so we're here today with Anthony Colangelo. Back to the show. We got to get you on like once a year. I think it's always good to just Is get the you cadence? in front of. Yeah, that's the cadence. Yeah. yeah, that's the the regular uh, uh, rhythm for for an Anthony Colangelo yeah. appearance. Let's be real though. It's it's the off years of uh, launch windows. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. If there's no Mars launch windows, then I get Anthony on to talk about something fill, else because I got to fill time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how you doing, man? How's your summer? We haven't talked much this summer because I've been traveling and all over the place. So how's, how's things going? We haven't talked much the year that we went to weekly shows on Off Nominal. <laughs> yeah. No, we have been TikTok and vacations, but it's been good. You know, we've got a... It was uh, an, a more exciting summer than I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be the one that because everyone's on vacation, because everyone's finally able to go on vacation, that it was going to be like the lowest news summer of all time, which is already <laughs> very low news. But uh, it's been pretty wild. And then we got Artemis coming up, yeah. which is a legitimate thing to say now. So mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit at the end of the show. Ooh, I think, yeah, so. we are. <laughs> yeah, a little teaser. Yeah, <laughs> Zero about the mission, uh, so but yeah, it's a good teaser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're about the mission, exactly. Um, so we're going to talk about the CLIPS program, Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program, because, um, you know, this is a, I think it's a pretty important planetary story, but I haven't talked much about it in the show. And there's been some news, you know, the, pr the program's like four years old now. There's been some recent news that have um, merited attention. Uh, and you recently put out a podcast on your show, Main Engine Cutoff, about it, uh, covering some of the stuff there. So I thought we would kind of, you know, talk a little more about it, have a little bit more of a conversation. Um, so I guess, you know, 
the, some of the news that came out recently. So we had a, a new entrant into the into the the task order club, <laughs> uh, Draper, and and you know it's it's little uh, posse of, of subcontractors, and then one out. So Maston is having some problems right now, I guess you know financially, and they are they are uh, they're not going to be doing their thing. So there's been a little bit of churn. That's been sort of a story the whole time. And I guess my my opening question for you is just you know. How do you feel about the 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 health of the applicant pool? There's like 14 companies came in. I think th- three are out already. Yeah. I mean, one I'm unraveled in like the... a week and a half, basically, from when they awarded yeah. the first task orders. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what do you think about that? Is that normal? Is that to be expected, or is that something we should keep an eye on? The list of contractors is all right. Let's start there because there's like many layers to your question. Um, that's always been one <laughs> that has felt weird because. It is this it's this program and and the Department of Defense does this for some launch contracts as well. Not the big ones that we all talk about. I think last time I was on, we talked about ULA and SpaceX and Blue Origin, not that big premier launch services contract, but the smaller launch uh, program that they do is in mm. the same vein. So I think that's where the clips program uh, took a lot of uh, hints from, because the way those kind of contracts work, you get on ramped to this pool of applicants. And that is essentially you need to clear some baseline uh, you know, organizational details, like whether you're sourced in the U.S. and you operate in the U.S. or, or whatever the requirements are there, um, and some minimal viable, minimum viable capability. Um, but you don't actually win any contracts right when you're on ramp. You have to still bid for those specific task orders. So this, this is one of those programs where they cast a wide net on who they allow into the program. Um, you know, it's it's not like they're going to, not allow one of these contractors into the program if they don't think they're legit. As long as they meet the criteria, they are, I guess, legally bound to allow them into the program. So, um, you know, the fact that half of the list, if you're out there listening and you read this list, half of the names would not ring any bell for you and half are like the companies that you think of all the time. That's just kind of how these programs tend to be. Um, But that's okay. I think that's, you know, you want to... You don't want it to always be SpaceX in all of these programs, right? Like we, we talk about this all the time. We don't want to turn the entire space industry into just yeah. SpaceX because then we're right back to where we started. Um, so you do want to allow these other companies in. Now, just to, I guess, pick on one, you know, Moon Express was involved in this from day one. And, and I've I've always been very, I mean, now the writing's on the wall, I guess, because it's, I think they're gone. I don't actually know, like... The, they just sort of like stopped being present. Right. They didn't disband <laughs> or file any paperwork, I guess, but they're just not doing things. I think Bob Richards yeah. is like doing doing music or something now. I'm not really sure. Yeah, um, something. Yeah. So even even then, you know, it was like something I was never really a big hope in them, but they were there because they were around. So, you know, how do I feel about the program at large? I am very nervous right now. Uh, this was, yeah. and I should preface that this has been my like favorite program because it, it was under the radar. It's doing something I think is really cool in that it's trying to create this commercial market for, you know, the way that we all complain NASA should operate, just buying a service to do a thing. This is like putting their money where their mouth is like, all right, we're going to do one of those and see mm-hmm. how it goes. Let's see if this commercial industry is ready to stand up to the task of flying to the moon. Um, so it's exciting missions. It was interesting in terms of looking at the development of the space economy. It seems achievable, right? Like the, the moon is interesting because it's right there. And if you're trying to develop a space economy, uh, extending your capabilities first from low Earth orbit to the moon is a much simpler step than your domain of Mars and the other planets. Um, So there were so many things going for it that had me excited. But 
at this point, you know, we haven't had any missions fly yet. That's all a couple years late, which is as expected. But unfortunately, we're seeing this churn in companies that are solvent to actually bid on these things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that because I was I, as I was putting this episode together, I was like, you know, I'm a little nervous about clips. Maybe I can get Anthony on to cheer me up about it. Oh no, I'm full on nervous. <laughs> All right, so this is going to be a little bit of a of a anxiety episode. Then that's good. Totally. Yeah. Um. So looking looking past the the companies that are up, you know onboarded, we've had a, a few awards. So Intuitive Machines has got three. Astrobotic has two. Uh, there's one out for Firefly. Uh, there was the Mastin one that's gone, the Orbit Beyond one that's gone, and then Draper's the new one. That's seven. I think that's all of them. I lost Eight. count because yeah, of how many like dropped that. out. Yeah. Um, so I find it weird that, you know, so the, the the whole premise of this is like the shots on goal. They say that all the time, right? Shots on goal. If you get a lot of shots on goal, some of them are going to go in. And with the implication that some of them are not, right? And so it, with that strategy in mind, my thought would be you'd want to like award quite a few contracts to different companies, but this has been like pretty concentrated. Like the two companies of the 14 have gotten, you know, like 70% of the contracts. All of it. Yeah, this is this is the Washington Capitals version of shots on goal. Let's just let Alex Ovechkin shoot all of them. I don't know. We took exactly. this to hockey too quickly, but like, yeah, yeah Ovechkin shoots eighty percent of the shots for the Capitals. But yeah, it's a shots on goal strategy. Exactly. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Because you know, I think the day before the Clips program announced the the winners, I would never have been able to tell you who Astrobotic or Intuitive Machines are, and now they have five contracts, and then big companies, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Lockheed Martin all with like, you know, uh, reasonable funding and reputation and experience are not, they're not getting any of these contracts. Like what's going on with that? Why would NASA choose to just like dump it all into a couple of, of relatively unknown companies? I'm not a contract lawyer, but, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times when you lay out a requirements for competition, you have to follow the rules that you write down. So if, if Intuitive Machines is always coming in at the lowest price point and the highest technical capability or even like moderate technical capability and lowest price point, right? Whatever that mix of criteria is, mm -hmm. they have to pick them. That's a government right. program, right? They, they don't get to just say, no, they had enough. They had enough to eat. We're going to give this one to, you know, Draper or something like that. Right, it right, it right. has to meet that criteria. So that always complicates it because um, I think in the case of Intuitive Machines, just to harp on that example, since it is, you know, an outlier of a very small uh, of a very small sample size, but they are an outlier. Um, they have three missions on the books, but the third mission, Intuitive Machines Three, they started advertising that before they had won the mm -hmm. NASA contract for Intuitive Machines Three. So they they were out there saying, "We're flying this mission. We're going to have customer payloads on it. Uh, you know, you can buy your spot now." And then they also bid that for the NASA task order. So that must have been now, cheap then, right? Right. If they if they are if they were already if, was, if they had a business case for the mission without NASA, then yeah. Or even if they willed that into existence by saying, you know, by by feeling good about their <laughs> bid and then announcing it before NASA responds to the task order, it it does, you know, I guess indicate the financials behind Intuitive Machines. Um, and and I should say the prices. We only ever find out the price that won each task order. We don't find out, like, even if you get your hands on a source selection document, they um, redact the other prices of the bidders so that uh, competitively you can't figure out, you know, oh, Intuitive Machines is, is upping their price each time they win a contract. Mm -hmm. um, but everything's been in a similar range, right? These are high tens of millions of dollars. They're 
60 to 90 million dollars yeah, i think yeah, is the range yeah. roughly the draper one was 73 recently um so it's not like intuitive machines is always coming in you know a one dollar bob strategy here uh, there is some price comp- competition here and, and clearly you know they bid for this last task order but draper still beat them so it's not like they're unbeatable but um like i said if if you write down criteria in a certain order and mm-hmm. the company meets that even if you do not like the company that's your bad for writing a contract in a way that they could have won that, I guess. Yeah. I guess what I would have expected is for SpaceX to just come in with a complete low ball and because they're going to go anyway, you know, like they could squeeze uh, like 10 clips missions onto the HLS uh, demonstration mission. Oh, yeah. You know, there's yeah, they could of, land like... every other lander and their payloads in that <laughs> so, first I mean, mission. If they for submitted sure. a bid that was like, this is a, a launch that is already meeting all of NASA's requirements and it's going to be 10 million bucks. Like, well, I, I don't know why that hasn't happened. I think it would guess, be right? this. Okay. So to use that as an example, um, on the small launch side of the industry, there's there were these the Tropics mission. I forget what it stands for. It's like the Troposphere, something 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 science-y something. Right? something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and Astra won. They they were they won. It's six cubesats. Uh, Astra won on three launches, two cubesats apiece. First one blew up, which is a side story that is <laughs> you can head your, head on over to Miko for that kind of talk. But um, <laughs> SpaceX also bid on that contract with Starship, and it was like you know five million dollars or whatever. Um, for these launches and they were just going to do them on their test launches of starship yeah um and i think in that case the thing that put that out of bounds was like not having i am a little foggy on this so don't quote me on it in federal court or something but it was like you know basically not believing spacex's schedule that they would meet Mm. the date for that mission so in the same way uh if spacex has their hands full with lunar landings already and they put out a bid that says, oh, yeah, we're going to land next year for these clips payloads. NASA would be like, I don't believe that because I have all your paperwork from the other thing. Right. So maybe um, their awards are coming later. Right. Because they've awarded yes. seven, which gives them out to like, you know, 2023, 2024, which is roughly yep. when that first one's supposed to. OK. And I think that's why Blue Origin and SpaceX were on ramp. Right. They had legitimate. Um, I guess Sierra Nevada was in there, too. Uh, yep. They had legitimate proposals for landers in the late 2020s. It would be weird for them to not be included. I think they were on ramp around the time that Viper, which we'll talk about, was um, being tossed around. So Clips started thinking about bigger payloads, not just mm-hmm. like, you know, here's nine couple kilogram payloads. Um, so I think it was a, the same thing, right? Casting a wide net for who you allow on the list so that they can be used later. If Clips payload uh, masses start rising, you start getting up into the territory of Blue Moon or Starship or whatever it is. Uh, at least Clips is set up to take advantage of that rather than right, having right, to on-ramp them at that point and then you know go through the whole rigmarole. Hmm. Um, so let's talk about this price a little bit because you, so you mentioned you know these are coming in 60 to 90 million dollars which is like kind of a steal for a, a lunar mission and I guess the idea there is of course is that's that can't be you know NASA's not booking the whole launch they're saying we these are some payloads this is what we want to pay for a ride you can fill the spacecraft up with whatever else you want and you can close that business case, right? Because you got to buy a rocket with that. Like there's not much left over yeah. <laughs> after you buy a ride to the moon uh, with $60 million, right? So, uh, you know, we saw Mastin leave the program this last couple of weeks because they, I guess what the, the reasoning they said was that they thought they had $30 million extra of customers coming in on top of the NASA money and that private customers like didn't materialize and so they just didn't have enough to complete it so my question here is like is is that sort of expected or do we are you worried about the size of the lunar surface private market um 
are these companies bidding too low? Like should, should the NASA task orders be a little higher so that, you know, Mastin would still be in business, even if those customers fell through? Like what, what do you make of that? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, uh, we're definitely seeing the effects of competition here, which is like, yeah. <laughs> you know, getting these prices so low that no one can sustain them. Um, it's definitely the case that these are, I think because they're firm fixed price contracts, people think that these are like all the other firm fixed price contracts that have existed in NASA, right? That, the reason those are popular is because commercial cargo, commercial crew operated that way. They clearly have had great success. You can ask the financial people at SpaceX if they feel good about the number they bid on commercial crew, and I doubt you will hear a yes out of that. <laughs> um, I think even Gwen Shotwell has said, if we knew Boeing was bidding $4 billion, we would have bid a lot higher than you know 2.6 or whatever they ended up 4. bidding. $4.19 billion, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, you know, they're, but they're different. They're different programs. They're, they're not... This is a task order focused program. This is not, um, I guess the, the best equation I could I could provide here is is look at Northrop Grumman with Cygnus, right? They, they provide cargo to the space station. Uh, they bid a certain price for those Cygnus missions, uh, including launches and operations to the space station. And that was for the whole block of whatever the first, I think it was like six to 12 missions that were bought first from commercial cargo. They've had extensions since. Um, Northrop Grumman has done nothing else with Cygnus nor Antares in terms of commercial commercializing them. They, they don't sell Antares launches to anyone else. Cygnus has not been used for anything but an ISS cargo mission. Um, but they ran their numbers in a way that they could operate that whole program with just that customer. This is just not how this program is thought up. This is, mm -hmm. you're getting a single mission at a time. So it's not like we're funding your entire development life cycle. We're not funding the operational life cycle. You're just we're buying this service for a single flight. Uh, if you're Intuitive Machines and you're good, you're going to get a couple of different missions. So you start putting those numbers together and you're like, okay, that's like a couple of years of run rate, but there's no math you can do in which even winning three task orders provides all the funding that you need for mm -hmm. even getting to building your lander. Right. So yeah, the and you know we, we are dumping on the companies a little bit for saying you're bidding too low, but I mean... NASA does have to set money aside for this program, which I think always tips everyone's hand a little bit about like what kind of money is available. This wasn't this wasn't put into the budget as like a line item that gets several billion of dollars a year to it, right? Like it, it was never going to be a program with super high value contracts. Hmm. Um, so, like I said up front, I think this was NASA and and the commercial industry at large putting their money where their mouth was, saying, "All right, you say there's a commercial industry that can be extended to the moon, like." prove it you know we'll buy payloads but you need to prove the commercial industry part we're not the only customer we don't want to be you don't want us to be so go find the customers yeah, um yeah. Hmm. and if you're and nasa it's... that's how it should be right like that's what you want if yeah. you wanted to fly payloads to the moon you wouldn't do it this way you would build your own moon lander fund it the way you do all the other programs you know they're not doing this for your beloved mars rovers or orbiters to europa yet they're just <laughs> buying those as and they're developing them and, and yeah. running the program yeah i guess it, it, when you talk about cygnus and dragon it really kind of paints like there's really three scenarios right there's like so cygnus is you you buy cygnus cygnus missions are entirely for nasa and cygnus does nothing else but nasa missions and then in the middle you have dragon where the Dragon missions are entirely for NASA, but Dragon can go off and do other missions. And then the other end of the spectrum is Clips, where like some of the lander is for NASA, but they have no visibility, like no, they don't care what goes on, just even on the yep. other side of the spacecraft, right? Like they don't even care about that. So like that gives you like a good range of 
of, of uh, it's like buying an airline seat and not caring how the airline operates else otherwise yeah, right yeah, i don't care yeah. what you put in the cargo hold i don't care who else i'm flying with right i just need a seat you know to beijing tomorrow mm-hmm. yeah um it, it, what does it say that intuitive machines can fill three missions with private customers but maston couldn't land one is that just one of the companies have a better sales department or is there <laughs> is there something technical about the vehicles did you have you heard anything on that i don't know I don't know how many commercial payloads Intuitive Machines has sold. I don't know if they've sold a single one. I don't know. Uh, well, I, mean, I, so, I don't know. Okay, we'll take Astrobotic. Are they out they, there as a list? Did I think they provide Astrobotic us a list? has listed quite a few of them. Okay. Like, the Wikipedia page has like... A, Does it? And, okay. and some of them are like novel, like novelty ones is like someone put a yeah, Dogecoin in a bucket or something, or whatever. but whatever. Yeah. But there's like legit, like, you know, the Canadian okay. Space Agency, Mexican Space Agency. I think the European, like Germans are flying stuff on it. There's, there's some legit payloads in there that are finding their way. So I guess, yeah, that was... I don't know. It's, it seems... It's hard to make a judgment about like the size of that market when one company's like just killing it and the other one can't get yeah. one and goes out of business, right? Yeah, and it could be that um, you know, and I I was being half facetious in my last comment because I had have had astrobotic people on that have talked about the way they're working with the commercial industry yeah. payloads. So I know it exists, but um and the the thing that we're talking about with Mastin is from Parabolic Arc has an anonymous source who talked to him from the company that provided the story about uh, basically, they bid seventy something million for the NASA contract, and they needed an extra thirty to make it. Uh, and there, it sounded like there was a, an anchor customer for that thirty million. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a difference between you know trying to find a single big customer, or you know doing it the way that we do our Patreon of finding like hundreds of people that will pay you money and yeah. make up the difference of that one. <laughs> you know, and and you know, there's if the one goes away, Mastin's in a tough spot. So. I'd like more details on what that yeah. funding arrangement was with Mastin to make a, a judgment call, but it could be that Intuitive Machines and Astrobotic are kind of peppering the commercial payloads around in a way that, uh, much like a SpaceX rideshare, right? They sell 60 or 70 different slots and that covers their cost for the mission versus mm. uh, always trying to find, you know, go back and look at the Falcon 9 manifest and find how many were a single payload. It's not a ton, right? There's other than Starlink, I guess. Uh, it's not a ton of the commercial missions or the early ones for sure when the market was different, but lately there's always an extra satellite or two or seven on there. Yeah. So yeah. could be just that mindset shift for sure. And mm-hmm. I think in the case of intuitive machines, um, the company that backs intuitive machines is, is IBX. They also back Axiom space. They back this other company called X energy that I don't know a ton about, but they just won a uh, contract with NASA in partnership with intuitive machines to develop nuclear fission power for the lunar surface. So these three companies, Intuitive Machines, X Energy, Axiom Space, clearly have a lot of funding coming from their funders. Um, I, I've you know looked into who runs IBX, and I just can't quite do the math for how they've got enough funding uh, in <laughs> in like a Bezosian way to uh, run all these three companies at the same time. But um, you know, I think there's more firm backing in that setup than there was in Mastin, which was a very small company mm-hmm, before yeah. Clips. They were. You know, I I heard from I a couple of people. Is like 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 one guy's dream. Like it was like a very much basically a, like barely. You were one magnitude off. I think it was yeah, like, like tens Dave, of people. Dave Mastin as the guy, right? That's yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was tens of people. They won the Clips Award. They had to go, you know, add a zero, go up to hundreds or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And rapid growth is something that you know is not ever stable. I would say. No. <laughs> 
Uh, talking about rapid growth and not being stable, uh, the the elephant in the room of the Clips program oh is, is Viper. <laughs> and holy smokes, this thing has rapidly grown, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe my best segue. We'll see. Incredible. Um, <laughs> so, so Only Viper, 127 episodes to get to that. <laughs> yeah, we're working up to that one. A lot of practice. Uh, yeah. Do your do your drills, people. Um, so so Viper is like the it's the weirdest clip mission clips mission because everything else about clips has been like uh, lots of risk spread out over lots of companies and lots of missions and lots of spacecraft so that lots of shots on goal eventually eviction's <laughs> going to score right that's kind of the idea here. Um, and Viper is the opposite of all that. So it's like one mission, like one NASA payload taking up the whole lander. It's uh, it's pretty important. Like it's not the kind of thing that they could suffer the same risk level as these, you know, some random spectrometer sitting on the side of a, of a totally. intuitive yeah. machines lander. Um, and now it's going through. It's so it's got two delays now. So like one when it was announced, and then when they awarded the the thing, it was delayed, and then they just delayed it again this month, this past month. And the cost has grown up to. Uh, so I'm looking at my notes here. So now it started at two hundred million dollars, and it's now climbed to four hundred and thirty three million dollars. Which is like, you know, and I think call. there was a report that was like it's going to get up past five. Yeah, so that's like six other clips missions, like of of, of value there, right? <laughs> and that makes it very very weird. So I guess I'll just start. Like, why did NASA choose to put Viper on clips and not just I don't know fund it with like some other strategic mission, right? Like with the moon, yeah. like like there's lots of money in the moon right now. Why couldn't they just fund that as a strategic mission? I am assuming that. Um, the heritage from resource prospector, right? Mm -hmm. there, there was this other mission that was floating around in the mm, 2010s, I guess was like the era era when it was uh, around. Um, but it, it had continually been struggling to actually get legitimate funding to fly. And it was a very similar mission in that it was going to, as the name implies, go prospect for resources. Um, and that got canceled. I think the year before Viper came about, um, well, and I'm not even sure. right before Eclipse, right? Because they 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 canceled right. lunar it was they canceled lunar prospector, and then like in the cancellation press briefing, we're like, but don't worry, we're right. going to do the moon in cool a different program. way, and then Eclipse right. happened, right? So, so in that transition, um, there was I don't know if there was a legitimate hardware that got transferred over to Viper or if the team members did. I'm not sure the exact connection between them, but boy howdy, they don't look too different, right? These two these no. two rovers. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if it was NASA thinking we have this new program that is flying under the radar because this was all during the era of we're doing Artemis, we're flying to the moon in 2024. There's, you know, big announcements, weird announcements with spacesuits and American flags everywhere, like a lot of pomp elsewhere. And this clips thing was under the radar. Um, so maybe as a way to say, oh no, we're, we're doing this, you know, the problems that that other mission had, we're all funding an expensive launch and expensive delivery to the moon, but we're doing this new commercial approach. That's much cheaper. Mm. Um, and maybe they full well knew at the time that like 200 million was a hilariously low budget for something as complex as this. But it is really weird now. Um, and maybe at the time we all weren't weirded out by it because we thought maybe there would be other missions that would be procured this way. Like there would be these other big one off payloads. But in the fact that it's three, four years later and there are no other big primary payloads, now it just is an extreme outlier. And it's. <laughs> it's a really weird mission. I feel so <laughs> weird about it because <laughs> uh, it's clearly not how clips should be. 
You know, yeah. it, this is not the point of clips. Uh, and, you know, the, the numbers, $400 million, how close in your expert uh, analysis are we getting to, like, the other legitimately, not that this yeah, is yeah. an illegitimate mission, but, like, the big, you know, flagship and lower than flagship missions that NASA flies, Discovery, New Frontiers, you know, all those other classes. Like, it's not too far off from a new frontiers billion dollar mission at this point yeah like a, like even just a um a discovery discovery is like a hundred it's gonna be two or three hundred million dollars more in their in discovery ballpark right what's that like six seven hundred wow. is like the low range of discovery okay um uh, insight so, yeah. was like a very expensive discovery and because it was delayed you know and it went over to like 1.1 or something like that so yeah and then if you go back so like spirit and opportunity were you know, I think the whole program was 1.2. So call it six, wow. 700 bucks a Rover. Right. right. Um, so yeah, like we're not far off from and, that. Right? And so that's a weird thing is that like you might monetarily by like the individual dollar be closer to a $70 million mission as Viper, but you're spiritually a lot closer to a billion dollar mission at this point. Yeah. 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 The price is actually just one thing of it. You're right. It's the, yeah. the other thing is it's like, do they have the risk tolerance on this? Like, right. do we really expect Viper to go with the 50% chance that they've kind of bandied about for the other ones? Like, Oh, half of these are going to yeah, crash. No chance. Like, no like, chance. No. I mean, what would even happen to the clips program or the Artemis program? If, if Viper just, blows up because it's like the first you know it's like they've never flown griffin lander before and there's oh yeah. yeah this some problem came up and well we'll get her on the next one like that's not really yeah. acceptable in this case right this has been my worry is that the 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 thing that i liked about clips was that it was under the radar and it was it was 70 million dollars a lot of money but it's not a amount of money that if it you know this is the u.s government after all if it's not that amount of money that there mm-hmm. would be a congressional hearing about 70 million dollars like we've no, done no a lot stupider stuff with $70 million in this country. Yeah. Four or $500 million is enough for at least one person in Congress to say, I'd like to, you know, get a sound bit of me asking a question to, you know, stick it to somebody (laughs) in the district that I don't like. Like there's enough fodder there that it would attract attention that you don't want to be attracted to, you know, again, like the point of clips was to see if the commercial industry can do this kind of thing and weighing it down with this, you know, potential, uh, I don't know what word to even use for it, but like a potential sore point that could be prodded by somebody that you don't want prodding. Yeah. It's a weakness, right? You know? Yeah. It's it's just a really big vulnerability that I don't feel good about. Yeah. The other weird thing about it too, is that it's, so it went to Astrobotic, this contract, but it is a Griffin lander, which is a much larger uh, vehicle than Peregrine, which is what they're going to do their first one on. Um, and so now there's this, company this you know this newish company that has to invent two landers at the same time um which could be pretty distracting especially if you're like you know you're trying to get trying to get a like bootstrap an industry here of, of lunar payloads like you really want to just focus and get one done but now it's like now when you have yeah. to invent two of different sizes and uh, right there's like no production line about. benefit like there is with intuitive machines yeah. like building a lot of similar size landers exactly yeah and i know like all these companies have these grand designs for bigger better landers and that's great but it's one thing to do yeah. that second than it is a parallel <laughs> for sure put it on your website and get around to it but yeah get the funding round and then and right. then do it yeah so well, on the that, other aspect with that the difference of astrobotics missions is that the first one peregrine mission was flying on the first flight of a new rocket <laughs> <laughs> so like it's not exactly a shoe-in that is going to make it all the way to the moon in yeah. the first place, I, I'm I'm confident. I'm as confident as you could be in a new vehicle as in Vulcan from the United Launch Alliance. 
like I'm sure it'll be fine, but you know, they got they've got to trust a new rocket to get their first lander towards the moon to attempt to land to figure out what went wrong. Like, let's mm-hmm. be real. I don't I don't know anyone that's like, yeah, they're going to stick the first landing. It would be amazing, but mm-hmm. it's just not how we've seen the moon operate before. Yeah. Um, and then they got to figure out what they can figure out from that to make Griffin land. Like, it's it's tough. You know, I'd, I'd almost rather bet that there would be another Peregrine mission that would fly before Viper does. Yeah. Or well, maybe they'll uh, get delayed again and they'll have that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, ooh, we got delayed again. Look at that. Maybe yeah. we should fly another Peregrine real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If one exists. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my, my hunch on this too would be that like, so one of the, the second delay that Viper experienced was um, big time due to requirements changes from NASA. So NASA booked this flight before Viper's plan was really baked. Mm-hmm. They changed the mission duration. It was like a shorter mission before, and then they wanted to beef it up, make it a bit longer. It became a bigger mission that required more testing. So the the, the rover itself got more money to get better, better and then uh, Astrobotic got more money because they're also building the landing platform and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that could mean kind of like two things to me. One, NASA rushed the contract because they wanted to add some like legitimacy to clips like hey look mm. we're you know this is Importance. not just this yeah. isn't just a, a sandbox playground program like we're putting real real stuff on this so you should yeah. pay attention to it like I, maybe you have to do that uh, and it was it was it was messaged that way right they, they wrapped it in the artemis cloth and said this is going to go to the south pole where we're going to send people eventually they're it's going to find water ice that they're going to it was jim brinesdon doing you know water ice is it's what is yeah. it it's hydrogen and oxygen what is hydrogen <laughs> and oxygen it's rocket fuel it was that whole yeah. thing was i think how he rolled out viper at it was at iac i think it was uh in fact 10 minutes before you and i sat down with jim brinesdon in the room at iac <laughs> he was on stage talking about how viper was crucial to the artemis program yeah. Uh, so it was wrapped in that essence from day one. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's on us that we're surprised by this. <laughs> well, so the the other possibility, though. So my other my other option here would be to think that originally NASA didn't think this was going to be a big mission, and it was you know just a simple two hundred million dollar thing. They booked it on clips. If it crashes, no big deal. And then it it did what NASA mm. missions do, and it grew into a Christmas tree. Yeah. Um, and now they're hey, like, you got well, a rover going to the South Pole? Can uh, I put this crap, on that? We're, Can we're I... booked on this thing, and so <laughs> like now we got to dump a bunch of money in this to make the testing better, and, and it's just gonna it's gonna turn into a strategic mission, even though it might have a clips label on the outside of it, right? So I don't know. I guess that that's the thing is, was NASA playing a quick PR game, or were they just legitimately yeah. not on top of it, right? Yeah, and you could take our criticism of uh, you know Astrobotic building these two different landers at the same time and say like why isn't whoever's building Viper setting up a production line of Vipers? Like, why not, if you're going to spend $500 million, why not spend a billion dollars and have three Vipers? Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. That seems mm. seems pretty cool. Okay, so I guess we're not going to answer that one. We're not going to be able to figure out. No, no I would, I'm NASA? willing to like Please call bet us. on other missions and Viper I just am flummoxed by, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think my last other other point on like where the program sits at uh, this might be going completely off topic, but like we are, you know, you've been talking about how there's a lot of eggs in a few baskets from NASA and like, these are tough things to do. I, I I'm pretty confident intuitive machines is going to stick around because of the mystery funding that we've talked about. I don't know if Astrobotic is like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know for sure if they are. And then, then what do you do if you're NASA, you know? And then if you don't get these launches off within the next two or three years, and you've had 
just as many companies unravel as you have people still on contract to fly to the moon, uh, mm -hmm. uh, it gets kind of dark, you know, because yeah, yeah. you could just keep awarding task orders. But if they're either delayed or the companies fall apart before they fly, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's actually exactly where I wanted to go next with these questions because um, I, that's we're we're still we're just coming to like the end of the like honeymoon period of cliffs where you get the announcement and it's a bunch of excitement and promises and you know we're seeing a couple hurdles here but like ultimately like it still feels like a program with momentum as soon as those first missions fly it's like one of two paths right yeah <laughs> and so I, I guess what do you think would happen like it, so if there if there legitimately is a 50 percent chance of failure i don't i don't think it's that high i think both the companies and NASA would want to get that a little higher. But like, yeah. if there's a significant chance of failure on these missions, that means that there is a not insignificant chance the first two fail. Like that is not, oh, yeah. that is not out of the question because it's two different companies. It's their first time flying anything. Uh, lots of unknowns there. D can this program survive one, two, three failed missions right out, right out of the gates or, you know, cause if, if they, if they fail two and then land two, then it's, they've succeeded, they've met their promise, yep. but I don't know if it can get past that point, right? I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and I think the the strength of the all the eggs in one basket is going to be shown then because the day that one of these crashes on the surface, you can say, don't worry, we'll try again and we'll fix whatever this is. If you're just mm -hmm. the company that has a single task order and you crash, it's like, I guess that's it. <laughs> like, I guess we don't have a, another mission on the books to figure out what you know what broke and and try again. Uh, even mm -hmm. you think about like uh, Bear Sheet, right? The the Israeli lander. They immediately were like, "Oh, we've got Bear Sheet too." I don't. I'm not exactly sure where that's at timeline wise, but they immediately started talking about, "Yeah, we're gonna figure that out and try again later." Um, which is what you want to do when you're operating in this way of like the shots on goal mentality. So, you know, the strength of having intuitive machines had two already lined up when their first one flies and astrobotic wouldn't be shocked if they get another mission before uh the peregrine mission flies yeah. and lands uh, or tries to land so you know being able to say to point at where your learnings are going to lead to rather than our learnings are going to go down the toilet because we don't have any other missions to fly i don't know that that's not the worst framing for that that's a great great point and i hadn't yeah. thought of it that way. we're available yeah. if nasa wants to hire us for any you <laughs> for know PR, consulting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh, okay, so how, how are we looking for the first launches? Just give us a bit of a status update. So it's it, we still don't know which one's going to be first, right? It's still a bit of a race here, I think. Yeah, Astrobotics are making a lot more noise. They're showing a lot more hardware pictures. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that, you know, I, I joked about Moon Express up front, but the thing that I always shrugged them off for was like, I've never seen a picture of any hardware. And that's always <laughs> the telltale sign of like, how much of your hardware have I seen? Astrobotic their stuff is in various states of readiness, but mm -hmm. they've certainly put a lot of pictures of hardware out yeah. there. And intuitive machines, maybe a little more secretive by nature, but uh, you know, if you well, get a sweet picture, funding, so yeah, exactly. But if you're <laughs> if you're in there taking sweet pics of your hardware, like somebody's going to tweet that because yeah. that they, looks they awesome. You can't crop so. out Scrooge McDuck in the background <laughs> with all the gold coins and so. Yeah. <laughs> it would give us some tips. Yeah, we'd zoom in on the screws and see you know where it's at. But yeah, okay, I think. Yeah. Um, Astrobotic posting pictures of hardware. Tori Bruno's been tweeting about the flight engines that they have heading their way from Blue Origin. Yeah. So there's pictures of the right hardware to say that Astrobotic is legitimately going to fly. You know, I'll give it in the next year, they'll say. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It'll probably be what? February, March next year when right. Vulcan flies. 
Okay, there's the there's right. the Anthony Colangelo prediction yeah. right there. February. I've, I've got to say, my timeline predictions have been not that bad. <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what else is going on in your world? Uh, main engine cut off. We should talk a little bit about that. You've had some good episodes recently. We talked about the clips episode. So if you like this one, you should go listen to your breakdown of some of these events, sort of your personal analysis. What else you got cooking uh, on that show? Oh man, I've got a ton of interviews lined up. Uh, that are going to be sweet. So this week I will be talking to a company called Space Exploration Engineering. Uh, they have a domain c.com, S-E-E.com that I have to assume cost them a billion dollars to get it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they bought it so long ago. I've always been amazed. Maybe I'll ask them about that. But uh, they do astro navigation. Uh, they help people figure out how to fly places. So they've actually worked on a lot of missions that went to the moon. Hmm. I believe it was, it might've been bear sheet. It was one of the, the moon landers in that era that they worked on. Uh, and they've recently been working on Capstone. They are, I think, working on the... Uh, Korea has this lunar orbiter that's going in the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked on that. So they do trajectory work. And we're going to talk about this weird trajectory that all these missions have been flying, the ballistic lunar transfer, uh, where it goes way out from Earth and it like takes months and it eventually comes back around and gets captured uh, by the moon using very little propellant. And a lot of these missions that we're talking about in this program are going to be using that kind of trajectory because it's so low energy mm-hmm. um, that you can basically get there from, you know, orbits that you would not expect. So you could take like a, a ride share to sun synchronous orbit and kick your way over to the moon with less delta V usage than you would have, you know, uh, done other trajectories. So we're going to talk about that. That's really cool. I've been talking a lot about the ISS lately. I don't know for any particular reason. Uh, there's been some rabble rousing. Uh, the head of Ross Cosmos has been dismissed and yeah. that's interesting. Uh, so there's there's some good stuff on there. You were on the, you were on the show like a couple of weeks ago. We were talking mm-hmm. about uh, the Simplex missions and Psyche mission, missing its launch window. So uh, yeah, check it out if you have not. And Off Nominal, I should mention, has been... Yes. Yeah, so we're doing, doing lots of work there. So this, this, yeah. so this episode is going to come out next week. So by the time you listen to this, listeners, um, our most recent episode will be with um, uh, the ISS archaeology guy. So you booked this one, Anthony. Maybe you should tell about this one. This one's pretty fun. Yes. Uh, Dr. Justin Walsh, he is the co-PI of the ISS archaeology project, archaeological project, um, where they look at you know re- high-resolution images of workstations in the ISS to see uh, how they're used now and how that differs from what they were planned to be used for, you know, when no one lived on a space station for as long as they have on the ISS. Uh, and there was intentions in the way the ISS was designed, but there's practical utility to like, you know, it seems like little stuff like where do you keep the scissors uh, and why do you keep them there? And using, you know, and you, I feel like you probably know about archaeology more than I do, just knowing <laughs> your interests that like you like thing when people dig in dirt. And yeah. so <laughs> I feel like you're probably Thanks. better yeah, at that like side that. of this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it's using, you know, the, the tactics that you use to look at like ancient people based on what does their work site look like mm-hmm. using that tactic to figure out how the ISS has been used. Cause it's been up there forever at this point. Uh, and I don't know, it's like, I, I sometimes I think about the ISS and I'm like, it is pretty cool that it's people have been in that thing for so long because that's yeah yeah very different than a lot of space missions, which is like there's lots of someone good stories in this for three of like weeks. 
yeah, there's lots of good stories of like a screwdriver that like went missing and it was just gone for like three yeah. years, and then someone finally like finds it at the back of a because stuff floats around and it's always moving. So yeah, yeah, there's always good stories about that. I'm excited for that. So, uh, and then as you listen to this, you know, coming up uh, next on the show would be uh, Gary Jordan from NASA. So um, that's uh, very exciting. So if you are a podcast listener, which I assume you are, if you're listening to this, <laughs> uh, uh, you may have heard the Houston. Uh, we have a podcast right from NASA. So he's a NASA what do you call it? A PR guy, media relations, communication, outreach, something, something. Yep. Big, long Those are a lot of the right words. Um, uh, and he's a, a fun guy. So we're excited. Been to, known to wear really cool jackets on live streams. He has. Yes. Yeah. 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 And if you listen to the, he's, he's done a lot of the like narration for like Soyuz landings and stuff. So if you've ever watched mm-hmm. like astronauts come home, you can hear that NASA guy. That's probably Gary Jordan. So <laughs> yeah, we're excited for that. It's gonna be good. Uh, yeah, and then I guess we should talk before we go. One last, I got lots of housekeeping in this episode. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, so Artemis One is launching apparently this month. Uh, it is uh, August now, and the August twenty ninth is the no earlier than date for Artemis One. And you and I are planning to go. So um, I guess the the thing for listeners to know is that if you are in the Florida area, uh, we will be having some kind of meetup, the first off nominal meetup since the before times. Uh, and we can, you know, <laughs> we can get together and uh, maybe enjoy the launch festivities. We're trying to figure out, we're, t- we're still figuring it all out. So um, we don't have all the details yet, but if you are... We have almost to, none of the details. We have almost none of the details <laughs> other than we want to go. Um, if you want to get updates on that and be a part of that, if you're going to be in the area and you want to know what's going on, uh, we made a quick little uh, mailing list that you can um, you can go. Do you have that URL handy, Anthony? I'm just trying to remember what it was. But you can go to this yeah. website and 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 put your email in, and we'll send you updates when we have the actual details. Yeah, if you go to offnom.com/events, that'll get you there. Uh, it'll okay. be listed right at the top of the upcoming event section. It's the Artemis One launch events. Yeah, yeah. So just put your email in there, listeners, and then uh, we'll send you updates on what what time, what place, what we're going to do. Uh, we're thinking probably some sort of get together in the evening before, and then maybe like a beach launch party. We'll see how that uh, works out. But yeah, so I guess that's Sign it. Up. We're not going to sell your email or anything, even though we're lowly independent podcasters. No, no. <laughs> I might I might try to sell you a t shirt with those. So just you know, just be aware <laughs> about that. It'll be a funny t shirt though, so it'll be worth it. Uh, yeah, so that's it. That's that's the that's the questions I have. Anthony, thanks for coming on and and having this conversation with me. You have not made me less worried. Um, yeah, so sorry good. about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can be worried that together. <laughs> that's how that goes, man. That's that's the that's the program. So uh, commercial lunar payload services, hang on to your butts. I guess it's <laughs> gonna be again. NASA, we are available for any and all consulting. <laughs> that's it for this week, Martians. Huge thanks to Anthony for having this conversation with me, even if he didn't make me less nervous. Be sure to head over to offnom.com events if you'd like to sign up for the Artemis One mailing list. We've got some really fun activities planned, and we'd love to meet you if you're in the Cape Canaveral area around August 29th. That's offnom.com events, and look for the Artemis One launch events link. Have a great week, and at Aries Martians. We Martians is an independent, listener-funded podcast created by me, Jake Robbins, on planet Earth. You can reach us at info at wemartians.com or on Twitter at we underscore Martians.